Today, we discuss conversational AI, the challenges of building a virtual friend, and what lessons about perseverance, people, and communication can be learned from that challenge. I'm joined by Bilal Zahir, who's held many roles over more than two decades at organizations like Philips and Ness. He spent the last decade continually improving conversational AI. Please welcome Bilal. Welcome to Evolving Industry, a no BS podcast about business leaders who are successfully weaving technology into their company's DNA to forge a better path forward. If you're looking to actually move the ball forward rather than spinning around in a tornado of buzzwords, you're in the right place. I'm your host, George Jakuszynski. Bilal, thanks so much for being here. Hi, George. My pleasure. So, you know, there's been a lot of buzz around AI these days. And last I spoke with you, you've been working on conversational AI for over a decade. I'd love to hear a little bit about what what motivated you to to do that. You know, I, I started programming when I was 12 back in the mid-80s on a Commodore 64-8-bit computer. And right from the beginning, the, the kind of children's programming books that I went through, it always intrigued me how when you're programming a computer, sometimes you actually have to think like a normal person would, break down different steps of how a computer program should carry out a certain, you know, execute some instructions. And I always used to think about how computers could be made to behave more like people. And I got that opportunity in the late 90s when I used to write different scripts on MIRC, write different box there. And it was very interesting how new users would come to a channel not knowing that they're actually interacting with the bot. It used to take them a few minutes to figure out that they have been actually getting responses from a bot there. And tweaking those scripts, changing their behavior, randomizing the messages that a a chatbot would give to a person, um, it made me understand, okay, it's not so much about the programming aspect of it, which is making it more real, like a person would behave, but more about understanding how people behave with the computer, how people interact with the computer. If you are able to understand that, you are able to write better scripts, better programs that are able to converse, so to say, with the person. It's not so much about the technology itself. So eventually, a decade from uh, onwards, several years down the road, I was having a conversation with a former journalist from Reuters, and he started talking about how every year, you know, we publish a horoscope in the newspaper, we shuffle the daily horoscope, and yet when people read through it, it's completely random. And still they say, wow, this sounds so real. This sounds so much like me. This is so accurate. When it's not, it's more about the perception of the people again. It's about the kind of script that they're given and it, it it relates to them. And I started thinking, if we were to build an app which could, you know, r- relate to people in a similar way, it could basically respond to people based on their messages in a similar way. It's more about understanding what people think about, what people desire, what sort of answers people expect. If an application could emulate that, you could actually end up building a virtual friend. 
not just silly chatbots. You know, we have been experimenting with chatbots around that time, and a lot of them were actually just disasters. Even the award-winning frameworks that we tried to use, they would just break apart literally uh, second or third message at most. So it, the more we try to develop and develop such a system, the more we realize we have to understand people better. We have to understand how people interact or converse if you want to have a more realistic virtual friend. Yeah, and there's no shortage of, of failures out there and horrible experiences. And like any interesting problem, it, it's rarely about the technology, right? And so, you know, how do you find the right nuance of conversation? Because it's a very fine line of the, the uncanny valley where you can really latch on to what people, what resonates with people. How do you find that balance? Right. Again, going back to the concept of a virtual friend, what does make a person your friend? Whether it's an acquaintance or somebody you've known for a very long time, versus a very intelligent virtual assistant even, who, is, who has massive amount of information with them, who will speak immaculate English, you still do not feel like you're talking to a friend. What you are getting are canned answers, very well composed, very articulate, very accurate answers, but you don't feel any connection with them. And of course, the information that they can relate to you is limited by the amount of information which has been provided to them. They cannot carry on a conversation with you. Whereas with a friend who actually may not know anything about at all about this, the subject matter that you want to converse about, a question that you might ask a question, uh, a friend that you are talking to, it may or may not, that person may or may not have the right information. But you still feel like you can talk to that person. You can have a connection with them. You can build a relationship with them. It's more about the interaction aspect of it. It's more about the personality of that person that you need to develop. It's not just massive amount of information that the person can keep on relaying to you in very articulate um, English or any language for that matter. Yeah, I find with with my friends or, or my teammates or, or anyone that I'm conversing with on a regular basis, what really helps me have a connection is having that that common language. There's kind of a short language that we can move through conversations rather rapidly. How do you build a platform or technology that's able to learn what that common language is or the, or the shortcuts in their conversation? See, that is a tricky question. And that is why nobody has been able to build one so far. The system has to be able to understand the person that they're relating to. And obviously that would require a lot of information accumulated from the person themselves through various interactions or other people uh, that such a system is uh, interacting with on a real-time basis, on a daily basis, it may require tens and thousands of users. Now, you cannot hire tens or hundreds of thousands of users to converse with that system. Obviously, you need a massive network of such virtual friends interacting with your system, which the system itself becomes your friend. Like some microsystems used to say, the network is the friend. I'd say the network, uh, sorry, the network is the computer. My concept is the network is the friend. By interacting with so many people, every instance, 24-7 from around the world, you start to get a better know-how, better feeling of what kind of people, what kind of background or what kind of demographic a certain person, if they belong to that demographic, how would you converse to them? What sort of slang, what sort of vernacular are you going to use to them? How are they behaving or interacting with the system? What sort of shortcuts, like you said, that they would be using? And putting everything into contact, you would be able to give them answers, which may not be accurate, by the way. 
but there would be something that the person would be able to relate to. The accuracy of facts can be improved, but it's the personality part which is more important in establishing a rapport, establishing a, a, a relationship with that person. Knowledge packs can be integrated with that system regarding any any field. I mean, it could be health and fitness, it could be makeup and beauty, it could be fashion and apparel, or something more technical. And you can add those knowledge packs um, to that system, but the overall layer, the personality part, is the more challenging part and actually more lucrative part for any business, in fact, to be able to build that. That makes a lot of sense. Obviously, there's a whole host of concerns with providing the wrong information, but but there's a better balance to be found. I, I find that most organizations that are they're rolling out chatbots or other types of, of technology, I don't know, I feel like 80 to 90% of the focus and the effort is just on building the knowledge base, on building better answers and, and not so much on that human experience and how people will connect. So maybe the, the, the secret is, you know, rather than 80-20, I don't know, maybe it's more 50-50 on the knowledge base and the human experience. I don't know if you have any perspective on what that right balance is. I mean, there's no fixed formula for it. Obviously, we still have a long way to go in coming up, building such a system, which would be, say, more or less foolproof which would not be able to start giving replies, which may be offensive to a lot of people, which may be very spreading misinformation, for instance. But when you have a large enough population interacting with that system, obviously there are already systems, already uh, frameworks available, not, you know, uh, 100% foolproof, which are able to figure out whether the information which is being provided to it is accurate enough or not, especially when you put related to the context, related to the person that you're interacting with, depending on their region, their demographics, their age groups, their interests, whether that information may be correct or not. I mean, for instance, Zouk may mean one thing in Paris, it means something else in Singapore, it may mean something else in Pakistan. So the more information you have regarding the person, and you can anonymize that information, in fact, the better you can interact with that person. And again, when you say you're trying to build a virtual friend, which is what we are trying to build, we're not talking about mission critical systems. We're not talking about some, you know, advising people about their healthcare. We're talking about building a friend. The problem, what sort of a solve would the virtual friend solve? You would basically be solving one of the greatest, possibly I would say the worst pandemics which we are going to be facing in the coming years. And a lot of people have already faced, I have faced that during the COVID pandemic. Loneliness. And it's one of the number one reasons in the world for depression and leading up to suicide even. A lot of people are going to be needing, relying on these virtual friends. And they are going to be helpful much in much more ways than just entertainment or keeping people company. So yes, they may not be solving mission critical problems, but they're already solving a, a much larger problem that the site is already facing and it's only going to be increasing in the coming years. Yeah. And, and I would imagine solving these challenges that that you're learning so much about the, the human dynamic. We work with global organizations and I'm always fascinated with the inter-team dynamics across different cultures and di- different subcultures, depending on what country the teams are, are in or what city that the teams are in. And, and I'm curious, I've 10 years pushing through this, what, what have you learned about those inter-team, inter-human dynamics? And, you know, has it really just opened your up your eyes a little bit on the human side? 
Right. You know, I spent a lot of time in Singapore. 10, 11 years of my career was spent in Singapore. And we were fortunate enough to work with people from around the globe. Singapore is a regional hub. Pretty much every role that I worked in Singapore covered at least 15 different countries in the Asia-Pacific regions. So you had Arabs, you had Malays, you had Chinese, you had Australians, British, American, all kinds of people. Even among uh, the English-speaking world, you have so many different cultures, so many different behaviors, vernaculars. So it, it, again, this is one of the reasons why uh, building a virtual friend uh, fascinated me and think about how such a person, such a virtual person would be able to interact with people from different cultures, from different backgrounds. And this is, again, the reason why I figured out the, all the frameworks which are currently available, NLP-based or LLM-based like ChatGPT right now, that's not the answer. That's not going to solve the problem. We tried even IBM Watson several years back, and you know, one of the earliest things that we realized was no single framework or LLM system is going to solve that problem. And what you are going to do is, I mean, the dirty secret that has been out for a long time in the AI or conversational interface world is a hybrid system. People and machines have to work together. And you can't really, like I said earlier, you can't really keep on hiring tens and thousands of people, hundreds and thousands of people across the globe to solve this problem. You got to build a whole worldwide network of people of all backgrounds, all cultures. Sure, you're going to be starting out with a very specific kind of demographics and gradually grow from there. But it's always going to be, the system is always going to be evolving while having live interactions with people all the time. Yeah, and, and I'm excited for these technologies to mature so we can truly just have ensemble learning across all of these, right? That both the hybrid and then all the, the multiple, multiple different platforms that are out there and, and point solutions. You've been doing this for, it sounds like over a decade. You must have learned something about perseverance in, in pushing forward with this challenge. Tell me a little bit about what, what's helped you persevere and keep pushing forward. Yeah, of course. I mean, a lot of um, uh, people came up to me and said, you know, you're crazy. Uh, the big five uh, have not been able to solve that. IBM hasn't done it. Microsoft failed. Facebook couldn't do it. What makes you think that you're going to be able to solve this problem that companies with billions and billions of dollars could not solve this problem? And that only made me more positive that this is something where you should keep on doing. This is something that we should keep on trying because this is just still an open problem, still anybody's game. Anybody could do it. It's just that we have to keep on looking for the right approach. And one of the things that early on I realized was that a lot of investors, a lot of tech companies are so hung up on the technology aspect of it, on the buzz of AI ML, they're completely, pretty much completely ignoring the most significant part of it, which is the people, like I was saying earlier, is how people behave with systems, how people communicate with each other, how people even learn to speak a certain language. People don't speak perfect. I'm not speaking perfectly English, obviously, and I did not learn this English through the education system. If I had learned English through my education system, my English would be much worse right now. I learned English by interacting with people, but way before that, I learned it while watching literally TV every single day. And um, growing up in Pakistan, uh, we used to have only one government-run channel. We would have only one English program 
per day, half an hour program. We would have one English movie per week. And I would be sitting uh, till late night waiting for the movie to come out and spend half an hour listening to it carefully. And that's the only way I learn English. So if, I mean, even babies, how do babies learn a language? Only by interacting with adults. Nobody's teaching them grammar, semantic or spellings or whatever. They only learn because they're absorbing whatever they hear, whatever they watch, whatever they absorb from their environment. The systems that we need to build has to emulate that, not an NLM-based, NLP-based system or LLM-based system. That's not going to solve the problem. It's interesting, yeah, and the immersion makes complete sense to me. But do you worry at all about the the kind of dumbing down of communication? I mean, I, maybe someone could have made this argument 30 years ago about TV, but I, I would be a little worried if someone's learning to speak from, let's say, TikTok or Instagram or something like that. Do you worry about that challenge? Do you put any thought around that? A lot, yes. I just reshared a post today from one of the former product directors of McAfee, George Polinik, a great friend based out of California right now. And he was talking about the same thing. And everybody is now just copy-pasting stuff from ChatGPT. And I've been uh, observing the same thing in the younger generation. My own son, who's uh, 15 now, they have stopped reading. And they have literally stopped applying their own mind. They're just simply copy-pasting stuff from other places. They're just watching videos. They're not reading. So yeah, sure, I learned a lot of things from watching TV programs, movies. I mean, I'm, I'm extremely... <laughs> A huge fan of movies. I mean, I, for 10, 11 years, I used to watch at least one movie in, in, in the theater for 10, 11 years, every single week. And before that, I would read articles from at least four or five different sources, including Roger Ebert, before watching a movie and then go back and read the articles again if a movie was so good. So you simply cannot give up on reading. And it's really unfortunate that I, I don't think the education system is really helping a lot. I don't think the social media, obviously, is helping a lot. It is dumbing down our younger generations a lot. So perhaps such a system could actually help improve that, but I don't see that is happening right now, that such a platform has come up so far, which would actually reduce this problem of dumbing down and rather encourage younger generations to read and not just watch and hear things. Yeah. Yeah. I hope so as well. And so as someone who learned through movies, I mean, I think we're not too far from age perspective. I feel like you also, the level of movies was that much better in, in some of those decades, right? Versus what you're dealing with today. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of content in the movies right now is just being regurgitated. I mean, regurgitated. It's, it's just reboots and reboots and sequels and sequels. <laughs> and not a lot of thought, not a lot of writing is going through it. And now Hollywood is facing two strikes from WGA, the Writers Guild, SAG-AFTRA strike. And one of the hairy topics that is being debated is AI involvement in movie making. Having background actors which have been scanned once and they're going to be re reused, their digital versions are going to be reused over and over. And people are obviously already wor worrying about the scripts being written by AI which means you are using a copied version of a copied version of a copied version. My belief is that hopefully it's just going to be one dumb, silly genre that might still make money in Hollywood, but people still want to look for quality. People still want to look for depth. I, I hope that turns out to be true. People still want something which is more thought-provoking, something that 
not just entertains them, but makes them think about things, you know, make, there's always got to be some learning aspect to it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's, it's funny, you're full circle with films and learning English from that and now building, building this type of technology, it's been represented out in films, you know, there's Ex Machina, there's her, I was going to make a joke that, you know, why do you have to build this product? Because Scarlett Johansson already filled that role. And I'm always drawn to dystopian future type of sci-fi, both in books and in film. I, I love it. And, you know, I wonder what your response would be to people that are worried that if we do have pervasive virtual friends, does that now start to just get in the way of real human interactions? Does it replace the human interactions? You know, Isaac Asimov started writing about that a hundred years ago, <laughs> and he was writing about the same things. I mean, nobody knew about robots back then. There was no AI back then, and yet he was already writing about it. So this was always going to happen. People are always going to, I mean, uh, are so fascinated about machines which have human-like interaction, human-like behavior. That's not going to go away. But hopefully we just are going to come up with machine systems which are going to help improve our lives, which is actually going to be needed by more and more individuals, the aging population, but as well as the younger audiences, younger population. I have observed so many teens online, my own friends, I would say, why would I have teen friends? I used to be a photographer in Singapore as well. There's so much loneliness among young students, as well as people crossing 70 years, 80 years of age, post-retirement age. They really need company, much needed company, which they are not able to get from their own family members, acquaintances, friends, colleagues. They just don't have anybody. It is driving people crazy. And again, why have that kind of an entity, a machine, a system? I mean, it's pretty obvious. And I really hope that we are able to come up with such a system within the next three to five years. Yeah. And, and there's, you know, a lot of people, when they get worried about these topics, they're thinking that it's going to be completely pervasive everywhere. And there's a time and a place for different technologies and tools. You know, VR as an example, I, I don't know that we're all going to be walking around with VR goggles all the time, but people who are, who have disabilities, they can now explore places in the world that they could never explore, right? And people who are, who are maybe homebound, they can have those types of interactions with people and, and not be as lonely. So I think it's all about a balance, right? It is. And I would not want to use the word disorders, something that I don't know much about, but I don't think we should call this a disorder where people are so shy, so antisocial, they're not able to interact with real people, but they feel a lot more uh, confident, comfortable interacting with virtual machines who are very much people to them. There are extreme cases already where um, a person in Japan, for instance, married a hologram, Azuka Himari, um, and he's still married to her, by the way. And he found more comfort in marrying uh, a hologram than a real person. I wouldn't want to call it shape of things, things to come, and I, I hope that is not the shape of things to come, but there is a real need for it in certain markets already, certain worlds already. That's fascinating. So interesting how things are going to shape up. You know, and coming back to the films, maybe there'll be yet another Terminator film and Skynet will be, it'll be like a buddy flick. Well, Skynet will be your friend rather than the evil overlord. 
well, come on, T2, you already had a Terminator who was your buddy Frank. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, he kind of was. Well, Bilal, I, I really enjoyed exploring this topic with you. I, I always like to finish with the fun question, which is in your work or in your life, what's the best advice that you've ever received? Persistence. The one thing that you had mentioned about me 10 years on, still working on the same thing, still hoping, still sure, in fact, not hoping that it is going to be built. It's just that we have to change the way, up, way we address this problem, the way we approach it. Persistence. That's all it takes for any I kind of it. success. I'm not talking about business. I'm not talking about technology. Whatever you do want to achieve, you just got to be persistent and not listening to people that it's not going to happen. Or it's not gonna, you won't be able to do it. You just have to keep on improving yourself. And yes, change your approach if you have to. I love it. Simple to say, hard to implement, but very powerful when you do. Bilal, thank you so much. I appreciate it. My pleasure. Thank you, George, for having me. Thanks for listening to Evolving Industry. For more, subscribe and follow us on your favorite podcast platform. And pretty please, drop us a review. We'd really appreciate it. If you're watching or listening on YouTube, hit that subscribe button and smash the bell button for notifications. If you know someone who's pushing the limits to evolve their business, reach out to the show at evolvingindustry@integrity.com. Reach out to me, George Jagosinski on LinkedIn. I love speaking with people getting the hard work done. The business environment's always changing and you're either keeping up or going extinct. We'll catch you next time. And until then, keep evolving.